Remember, remember the 6th of November. Yes, please. Please do. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Oh, brother. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, KODX in Seattle, Washington, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950. KTNF, hope you people are voting. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets five days a week on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around very, very swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Wipe that smirk off your face, Desi Doyen. <laughs> <clears throat> Thank you for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Coming up, the great Heather Digby Parton. She returns. We haven't had her around uh, here with us in months. She will join us as the defense rested on Tuesday in the first of two federal trials. I should say two scheduled federal trials. We'll see if the second one happens for former Trump campaign chair Paul Manafort, who is currently facing bank and tax fraud in the uh, current trial and uh, later on charges related to his undeclared dealings with a pro-Russian Ukrainian political party, and as the uh, Robert Mueller special counsel probe continues, the uh, the Manafort case is the first among the many indictments brought by Mueller, uh, the first one to actually result in a trial in any event, and uh, as the Trump administration to, continues to go off the rails in all manner of ways, we will talk about all manner of those things with the delightful Digby momentarily. Also, a bit later, the delightful Desi Doyen yes. will be here. With Don't a delightful Green News report. Says you. Says me. That will be coming up a little bit later as well. Uh, in the meantime, voters are at the polls for crucial midterm primary elections in Connecticut, in Vermont, in Minnesota, and in Wisconsin on Tuesday. We will have a report on notable races and problem reports I suspect, on on our next broadcast, and I will go ahead right now and note uh, next Tuesday, it's Alaska and Wyoming's turn. They will be holding their primaries. So, hey, wake up, Alaska and Wyoming, your turn 
Pay attention. Check uh, your registration. You Tell are your friends and family to check their registration, too, and make sure they haven't been purged. And then the week after, by the way, uh, Arizona and Florida have their turn at primaries and uh, and the Oklahoma primary runoff as well at the same time. So, yeah, don't know if it's too late to check your registration in Arkansas and Wyoming, but Arizona and Florida, you should still have time. You might want to check that. You might want to check that several times between uh, now and uh, whatever, two weeks from, uh, where are we, the August 28th, I think, in uh, Alaska, uh, in Arizona and Florida. Uh, but speaking of elections, the counting and the fights over counting continues in the uh, canvassing process for last week's GOP primary race for the gubernatorial nomination in the great state of Kansas between Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach and sitting GOP Governor Jeff Collier, who both want to be the nominee for governor this year. You will recall that race uh, with about 311,000 votes was virtually tied. I think that's the best way to put it with Kobach leading by just barely either over or under 100 votes, depending on which day and which moment you check since uh, since last Tuesday's election. That after brand new ESNS express voting, express vote voting machines and tabulators failed on election day and night last Tuesday. So just a quick update there. According to the Kansas City Star today, the deputy that Chris Kobach has tapped to oversee the undecided election in that GOP primary, since Kobach theoretically has recused himself from the counting process after pressure from Collier, that deputy has told county vote counters to disregard certain votes as questions continue about the about which remaining ballots should be counted at all in the race. This is something you think might have been settled before we got to Election Day, but uh, the guidance from Kobach's deputy secretary of state was quickly challenged by Governor Jeff Collier's office as the feud between the two Republicans uh, continues to escalate as counting uh, as county canvassing boards began to meet on Monday to review provisional ballots. Assistant Secretary of State Eric Rucker said in an email that, quote, there has been considerable public discussion regarding whether unaffiliated voters can participate in Kansas party primary elections. He then attached a series of legal instructions, including that, quote, if an unaffiliated voter does not complete a party affiliation document, that voter is not entitled to vote at a party primary election. Under Kansas law, unaffiliated voters, in other words, people who have not declared themselves to be Republican or Democratic or any other party, they are able to declare a party affiliation at the polling place on Election Day and then vote in that party's primary. Kansas law, however, does not allow for open Republican and Democratic primaries, so you will have to declare your party one way or another, at least according to the uh, to the statutes in Kansas. Under Kansas law, unaffiliated voters are able, however, to declare their party and then vote in that party's primary at the polling place on primary election day. So Collier's campaign late last week voiced concern about 
unaffiliated voters who were incorrectly told by poll workers that they would have to cast a provisional ballot rather than apparently fill out one of those party affiliation documents uh, and then vote normally. They were apparently misinformed by poll workers, according to Collier. Now, the governor's office, that would be Jeff Collier, the governor currently, he argued, his office argued in a legal opinion sent to the Casey Star yesterday that, quote, Kansas law requires canvassers to look at the intent of the voter when determining what ballots should and shouldn't be should and shouldn't be counted, what votes should and shouldn't be counted. Uh, and they, But they should look at the intent of the voter in cases where a poll worker incorrectly tells one of these unaffiliated voters to cast a provisional ballot rather than to affiliate with a party and then cast their vote. Brant Lau, the chief legal counsel of the governor's office, said in a letter that Kansas law requires that provisional ballots cast by unaffiliated voters in a primary election be construed as evidence of voter intent and must be counted. Does that make sense? Uh, this is go. Oh, this is so going to court. But basically, yeah. Oh, sure. It makes sense to me. It makes sense because he's basically saying, look, if a poll worker gave you incorrect information, that's not your fault. And if a vote correct, and, and if so a voter, if the voter went ahead and voted a certain way, that's their intent. Voted a certain way in one of the party's specific primaries, then clearly they meant to vote. In that party's primary. And they shouldn't be punished for the poll workers' disinformation or misinformation. Well, Chris Kobach's deputy wants to punish them, mm. wants to have their votes well, Kobach, not counted. Well, Kobach, of course, his whole thing is about punishing voters. So, yeah, that makes, makes sense. Makes sense, right? In any event, that's what uh, his deputy... Now, remember, Kobach's not supposed to be involved in this anymore other than as a candidate. He has recused himself in theory. Uh, but uh, the uh, Kobach, as secretary of state, he currently has a slim lead of 110 votes at this moment, according to the star over Collier in that uh, GOP primary. Roughly nine thousand. This is nine thousand provisional ballots are spread across the state's 105 counties. So this is not an academic question when we're talking about a, ra a, a race where 110 votes uh, divide uh, the two candidates here. More than 40% of those ballots reportedly come from Johnson and Sedgwick counties. Those are the state's two most populous counties. Um, but w this is uh, where Kobach has appointed the top election officials in those two counties. The, the, the four largest counties in Kansas have their uh, election chief actually appointed by the Secretary of State. All of the other counties go to the polls and they vote for their election uh, uh, county clerk. But uh, in these four counties, for some reason, according to Kansas law, the secretary of state gets to appoint the officials. That would be Chris Kobach. And so those officials appointed by Chris Kobach are now going to be deciding which of these ballots, some 40 percent of those 9000 provisional ballots, which of those ballots should be counted? And they are theoretically going to follow the the the, uh, the rules given by Kobach's deputy, who is now in charge of all of this. See why I say this is going to court. So, you know, after initially resisting calls that he recuse himself from his duties overseeing the election, Kobach eventually did recuse himself just last week and named Rucker his deputy rather than someone, by the way, like the attorney general, 
who is not quite as close to Kobach. That's what Collier had originally requested Kobach do, but instead he appointed his his deputy. Kobach's campaign also has alleged that many uh, Collier voters had difficulties finding his name on the ballot. And I mentioned last week that could be because of these new ESNS Express Vote touchscreen voting machines that do not show all of the candidates on a single page in some cases where you've got races with a lot of people on there. Uh, a lot of people who are running in the same race. You have to actually hit a more button. If I'm Collier, that sounds like something I'd be willing to sue about as well. Uh, as well, a lot of folks were forced to vote on uh, provisional ballots, as Collier uh, alleged last week, or he says some were turned away outright for unknown reasons. So there's a lot to figure out there. We will continue to keep watching that one as the Republicans continue to fight over who will take on Democrat uh, Democratic State Senator Laura Kelly in the general election for governor this November in Kansas. Uh, Kelly reportedly won the Democratic nomination easily in last week's primary, so there's no fight there. In related news from a uh, from a neighboring state, the Republican Party cannot seem to stop nominating Nazis, actual Nazis. Uh, you'll recall the uh, that guy running for the U.S. House in Illinois. He won the GOP nomination earlier this year. He's an actual avowed Nazi, a former leader of the American Nationalist Party, whatever the Nazi party calls itself here in America. Uh, that one, at least the state Republican Party, that guy had been disavowed by Republicans before the election. He went on to win it anyway because he was the only one who signed up to run for the nomination in that very Democratic area of Illinois. And now in Missouri, my old home state of Missouri, another Hitler fan has now been nominated by Republican voters for the ballot this November. Uh, a Missouri Republican who has made anti-Semitic and other bigoted statements handily won a primary for the state's House of Representatives last week, last Tuesday. We missed this one, but apparently so did everyone else. Steve West, who promotes anti-Semitic conspiracy theories on a radio show that he hosts. Oh, those radio hosts, you know how they are. Uh, he defeated uh, three other candidates on Tuesday in the bid for a seat representing Clay County in the uh, Missouri State House of Representatives. He won with 49.5% of the vote. The second-place finisher finished with only 24.5%. So he he cleaned up he's in this the, race. He's definitely the clear favorite among the Republican voters in that county, which is kind of shocking. He's the favorite Nazi in town. The Kansas City Star reported that West said on KCXL Radio back in January of 2017, so this is not ancient history that they found about the guy. This is just last year. He said, quote, looking back in history, unfortunately, Hitler was right about what was taking place in Germany and who was behind it. That's what the guy said last year. And this year, Republicans elected them for uh, as their nominee for the House of Representatives in Missouri. West has spoken of, quote, Jewish cabals that are, quote, harvesting baby parts from Planned Parenthood. Uh, he's, uh, he's said that there has been abuse and uh, molestation of children. 
and uh, and by the Republican Party, by the way. So naturally, he ran as a Republican and won the nomination of his party easily last week in Missouri by some 25 points. He also has a YouTube channel in which he has made homophobic, anti-Semitic, Islamophobic and racist statements, according to The Star. He will face Democratic incumbent John Carpenter in November. After news of his comments uh, were reported uh, by the KC Star, the Missouri Republican Party denounced West, uh, denounced his, quote, shocking and vile comments. They said West's abhorrent rhetoric has absolutely no place in the Republican, in the Missouri Republican Party or anywhere. We wholeheartedly condemn his comments. The party told the star, uh, did they endorse his Democratic opponent instead? I don't think they did. Not according to their statement, at least the part that uh, I read in the KC Star. <laughs> well, that would be a bridge too far for Republicans. <sighs> They'd rather not say anything than uh, than actually have any any conscience, well, moral yeah. conscience well, they said to something. nominate a Democrat. They said he's abhorrent and we condemn, but they didn't say we would like you to please go out and vote for Democrat John Carpenter in November. They didn't say that. No. Now, when the uh, paper reached West uh, by phone about this, to ask him about this for the first time, he said he wanted to talk about, quote, the issues and his platform instead. He declined to speak about statements that he's made that uh, he says have been taken out of context. Not sure how you take that out of context when you say looking back at history, Hitler was right about what was taking place in Germany and who was behind it. Um, but that was uh, said to be taken out of context. He, context, he said, you guys want to make it an issue, but I'm not going to comment on that. He then asked if he could call back in a few minutes and he hung up the phone he then called back and he said, I'm not running as a radio show host. I'm running for state representative. I'm sorry. I'm not going to have this discussion. Well, that's good to know. Anything that I have ever said on the radio, Desi, I can still run for office and nothing I ever said will be uh, could be possibly be counted against no, me. I'm sorry. That only counts. It only matters if you're a Republican. Pressed to clarify his Hitler comment, he questioned its validity until a reporter cited the actual date and the actual time of the recording. West then said he'd been taken out of context. He said that he believes all men are created equal, but but not all ideologies are equal. Specifically, he said he finds fault with Islam and Judaism. The local chapter of the Anti-Defamation League said it was not sure why West comments had not been publicized earlier. No kidding. Perhaps it's because of the dearth of, of local media. The fact that we're firing local reporters, you know. Yeah, I mean, thank goodness for the KC Star, Kansas City Star, getting out there uh, to but, do uh, these reporting. Uh, but eventually, and it was after the election. Yeah. So, you know, but where, where were the local nothing. reporters vetting these uh, these people who are running for office to be in the Missouri House of, uh, of Representatives? They've probably been laid off. Uh, the Anti-Defamation League said, I'm trying to get a sense of why he flew under the radar. I'm not sure I have a great answer. Um. When asked by the Casey Star about Jewish people in Missouri, West said, well, maybe they shouldn't vote for me. <laughs> At no point did he apologize or react uh, or retract his comments. Uh, West's campaign platform 
uh, on his website, does not mention Jews, but it contains a section titled Islam is a Problem for America and says that most parents don't want their children receiving alternative sex ed or having to deal with or be around the LGBT clubs, which sounds uh, perfectly Republican to me. All right, quick break here. Speaking of perfectly Republican, we will uh, come back and (laughs) discuss the perfectly Republican mess that is the Donald Trump White House. One scandal after another with the great Heather Digby Parton uh, comparing Watergate to the Robert Mueller probe may not be as apt as comparing Whitewater. She will explain why and much more as we dive into the Trump scandal swamp for a change here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Now they're planning the crime of the century. be anything. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The good news is our long national Digby drought is over. The great Heather Digby Parton joins us momentarily and I've got a lot I need to discuss with her. That, as lawyers representing Paul Manafort, Donald Trump's former campaign chair, rested their case in his financial crimes trial on Tuesday in Alexandria, Virginia. It's the first of two federal trials that Manafort is expected to face. The next one related to his years of work and undeclared relationship under the Foreign Agent Registration Act with a pro-Russian Ukrainian political party, even as he was Trump's campaign chair for about six months during the 2016 campaign. Uh, in uh, in the current case, in Manafort's current trial, it is on bank and tax fraud. He has pled not guilty to all of the above. Prosecutors rested their case on Monday after two weeks of evidence detailing years of Manafort's financial life, including alleged efforts to avoid paying U.S. income taxes on the money that he earned overseas and efforts after his income flow dried up to fraudulently apply for loans in the U.S. This, of course, is because Donald Trump only hires the best people and, uh, you know, they have to get through his extreme vetting, apparently, to be hired. The trial largely avoided mention of the 26th campaign, 2016 campaign and Trump's presidency until the final days of the trial when witnesses for the prosecution laid out an alleged effort by Manafort, who had already been fired by the campaign by then, to secure an administration job 
for a banker. A guy by the name of Stephen Kalk at the Chicago Federal Savings Bank who allegedly knowingly approved two fraudulent loans to Manafort, amounting to some $16 million, that prosecutors argue was in exchange for what Kalk was led to believe that he would uh, that there would be a chance for him to be named Secretary of the Army or any number of other top Trump administration posts that Manafort told him he would try to secure for the guy. As the defense rested on Tuesday, they did not call any witnesses or present any evidence at all in their case. This is the first indictment actually brought to trial in the ongoing Team Trump Russia probe by special counsel Robert Mueller, which has resulted in some 30 indictments, some five guilty pleas from among more than 100 charges filed so far by Mueller. At the same time, of course, the efforts by Trump himself and the Republicans in Congress who support him continue to attempt to discredit the entire investigation in any way they can think of. On Monday, the FBI's top counterintelligence official, Peter Strzok, who helped kick off the initial investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election way back in mid-2016, he was fired by the uh, Trump Department of Justice despite recommendations by Staffers and investigators that he not be fired. Strzok joins a long line of senior FBI officials who worked on the initial investigation into Russian interference, who have since been fired by the administration as the president seems to become more manic by the day, at least if his Twitter feed is any evidence, uh, in response to the ongoing probe, I guess I should say probes, that as a mountain of other scandals and allegations continue to engulf this administration, including the uh, most recently charges by a former contestant on Trump's Apprentice TV show. That would be Omarosa Manigault Newman, who has uh, who was subsequently hired and then fired by the Trump White House. She has a book out this week and has been alleging that she's heard tapes of Donald Trump using the N word. In response, Donald Trump has called her a lowlife, and today on Twitter he called her a dog. There are, of course, other tapes that could come out to haunt the president, including those secretly made by his longtime attorney and fixer, Michael Cohen, who appears to be turning on Donald Trump and vice versa, not to mention the lawsuits and allegations made by Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal regarding affairs that they are said to have had with the president uh, before he was elected and the hush money payoffs that they received just before the 2016 presidential election. Yet, despite all of that, Republicans in Congress are indignant that Trump is the victim here, the victim of a witch hunt by federal prosecutors. Writing at Salon this week, Heather Digby Parton makes a point that made me sort of go, aha, oh yeah, I get it. Why didn't I think of that as I read it uh, as to one central reason that Republicans continue to be so freaked out about the Robert Mueller probe? And I'm delighted to be joined by Heather Digby Parton right now to discuss that and all of these other related ongoing national nightmares. 
She is, of course, known far and wide on the Internet, says Simply Digby. She's the creator of the long-running Hullabaloo blog, a regular contributor at Salon.com, and a winner of the Sidney Hillman Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. Heather Digby Parton, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks for having me, Brad. Always my pleasure. Uh, it has been too long. Uh, so uh, let, let me jump in here. Many are obviously uh, comparing Mueller's Trump probe to Watergate, which makes a lot of sense. But you suggest in an article uh, this week at Salon that while the comparison is apt, we may actually learn more about what's going on here by looking to the Ken Starr investigation of Bill Clinton, but in reverse, sort of. Uh, GOPers seem more worried about Whitewater uh, than Watergate here, you, you suggest in your article. And I want you to explain that. But first, you start your piece with comparisons to Watergate, which seems more than apt, as I say, uh, on the surface. So how do you see the cases of Nixon and Trump in parallel here before we talk about what may be a, a, a more apt comparison? Well, I mean, one of the things about the Watergate comparison, which is it's very apt. I don't argue with that at all. I mean, I think that it's clear that we're seeing a similar case of a president abusing his power and obstructing justice. Um, it, the difference is, is that, you know, when, when Nixon was accused and when it first came down that he had committed crimes uh, or had been involved in committing crimes, mm-hmm. Uh, during his during his reign as president, uh, with the Watergate break-in, and then other things became obvious as well. There was a slush fund. There was all you know. They were paying off people. They, all of that stuff came out in the press. Um, and you know, he had people who were testifying against him, most notably John Dean, mm-hmm. his former White House counsel. And he had, you know, this was at that point. A he said, he said, mm-hmm. uh, and it was only when the, it was revealed that there were actual tapes of him personally uh, being involved in the cover-up that the jig was up and he ended up having to go out. So this, when it, obstruction of justice was proven, uh, it became clear that his time was up. With Trump, it's, it's right out there in the open. He's obstructing justice every day on his Twitter feed. Right. <laughs> he's out there just, I mean, he's laying it all out. But it's the same thing. It's, he's covering up uh, what appears to be a, a crime. Now, remember that, you know, Nixon was never proven to have known about the break-in ahead of time. And that was never proven on the tapes. It was ne- No one ever testified that he did. In that case, it was purely that he had been informed of it and then uh, instructed his henchmen to do the cover-up. And so I don't know what's going to come out with Trump and the alleged conspiracy um, and collusion with the Russian government during the during the campaign. That remains to be seen, uh, whether or not he was involved in that, and there's a lot of evidence that he may very well have been. But we know for sure, and I don't have any question about this, I think it's obvious that he's obstructed justice, because he went on national TV and admitted it, and he's admitting it every day on his Twitter feed so, <laughs> with his constant uh, attacks on the Department of Justice. And and what and you mentioned it in your intro that the Department of Justice is actually reacting to this, or appears to be, with the firings of people who were involved in the mm-hmm. original Russia uh, probe. So he is pushing people publicly to do this, and it's actually coming to pass. Yeah, it kind of reminded me last night uh, when I was watching the news about Peter Strzok uh, being fired, that it's sort of like a slow motion 
uh, a Saturday night massacre, yeah. the way he's uh, taking all of these people down. Uh, but what led me to this sort of aha moment uh, about the uh, the GOP freakout. In other words, well, okay. The, so the comparison to Watergate is is sort of clear. You're right, and it was never proven that he obstructed justice. But the Republican Party sort of came to him and said, "Yeah, look, Mr. President, looks like they got you dead to rights. Uh, you better leave." And of course, he did. That was a different era, obviously, than what we have now right. uh, with this Republican Party. Uh, and you sort of this this aha moment that I had about the GOP freakout over the Mueller investigation. I mean, look, if if Mueller if uh, Trump didn't do anything, you wouldn't think they would be as worried as they are. But you sort of summed it up when you argued, quote, if we are to understand the nature of the scandal and how the Republicans are dealing with it. We don't have to go back 44 years to do it. The Whitewater scandal under Bill Clinton, uh, those scandals provide a much more recent and better window into the current behavior of the Republican Party. And I agree. But let me let you explain how so. How does that uh, what does that tell us about where we are now? Well, it was pretty clear that when Bill Clinton was elected and they had and there had been all this swirling uh, you know, about Arkansas scandals around him mm-hmm. before he was elected in 1992. Mm-hmm. Whether it was womanizing or there was these, you know, the, it was kind of a, a gothic, you know, southern tale of, you know, small town sort of corruption that he was being accused of. And there was a very strong uh, group of Republican operatives who were down there, a guy by the name of Floyd Brown. You, you probably mm-hmm. remember oh, yeah. him. Uh-huh. Uh, he was the guy who actually did the, uh, the famous Willie Horton um, ad during the, during the uh, 1980s, then the George, yeah. George Bush Sr. campaign against Michael Dukakis. And uh, that was considered to be a pretty effective ad. Anyway, effective he was a hard racist ad. But yeah, racist ad, right, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Anyway, he he was, you know, he was one of the guys who was in there in Arkansas pushing all these stories out. What they did, what the Republicans did in that era, it was kind of the beginning of this sort of, you know, uh, scorched earth uh, partisanship that we see today. Mm -hmm. And what they did was they brought all hands on deck to go after Bill Clinton in 19, starting in 1992. Mm -hmm. They got people from inside the government, from outside the government. Uh, from the media to push as hard as they could on all of these scandals. They had people flying in, and part of it was is that the mainstream media didn't really understand Arkansas, and they saw it as sort of this weird, exotic, sort of Baroque uh, you know, set of scandals, and they were all very excited and stimulated by this, and especially they were being fed at that time by people like David Bossie, who is a big Trump, Trump um, guy. Yeah. guy. Uh, he's the guy who started that group called Citizens United, yep. uh, which we know for other reasons. Yep. Um, in any case, he was a, uh, you know, he was down there. They were all digging up dirt is what they were doing, and mm-hmm. they pushed it out very hard. And they started to use this scandal mongering as a political weapon. This became their weapon of choice, and they all did it. In 1994, when the Republicans took over Congress, they went full bore on every aspect of the, you know, quote, whitewater scandal. They forced the uh, attorney general to appoint a special prosecutor when he didn't come up with the crimes that they wanted him to. They forced it out into the independent counsel, which a, a group of, 
you know, three judges, very partisan, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, appointed Ken Starr, and he started all over again with the same, you know, set of, of evidence mm-hmm. that Robert Fisk, the original Whitewater special counsel, had rejected as, as proving anything. There was Travelgate. There was Filegate. There were Buddhist nuns at Buddhist temples. There was campaign finance. It went on and on and on until finally... They had uh, a bunch of lawyers, one of whom is Kellyanne Conway's husband, yeah. uh, set up the, uh, the Paula Jones case, the civil case. The Supreme Court allowed that case to go forward, and the president was led into a real live perjury trap. And that was a perjury trap. Now, I grant you, you know, I'm not excusing Bill Clinton for lying about having an affair with Monica Lewinsky, but they knew ahead of time about that. He didn't know they knew about it, yeah. and he walked into it, and he lied about it. And that set the basis for the impeachment of Bill Clinton. All of that was done purely as a partisan weapon to basically, if they couldn't destroy Bill Clinton, force him to resign, make him lose in 96, which he didn't do, or uh, impeach him, mm-hmm. that their mission in using these scandals was to damage him, hurt him, force him out of office, but, you know, and some of that based upon what happened with Richard Nixon, thinking they could do that again. That is the view that they have of these scandals, and we know this because the Benghazi scandal during Obama's term, yeah. uh, Kevin McCarthy, the guy who was running for, for speaker and was, you know, considered to be the speaker before Paul Ryan took over, mm-hmm. um, you know, basically... And may still, may, may still become the speaker now that yeah, Ryan's living, yeah. yeah. If they take the House, he's, he's designated to be uh, mm-hmm. Ryan's successor. But at the time, he was the guy. Ryan wasn't even in the running. And the reason he lost that bid for Speaker was because he came out, loose lips McCarthy, and, <laughs> and said uh, outright, the reason we're doing Benghazi is to damage Hillary Clinton, and look, we brought her numbers down, or something to that effect. And he he basically, everybody gasped, you know, oh my God, he's admitting it. I mean, not that we didn't know that, mm-hmm. but... The fact that you see a top leader of the party admitting that they're using scandal mongering to damage their political opponents was kind of, was kind of yeah you know, it was unusually honest for a top yeah. Republican if you know what I mean yeah and so, yeah yeah no go ahead anyway to make a you know a very long and tedious story short <laughs> my my the point of my piece was that's how they are viewing the uh the the russia scandal they are seeing it or they are portraying it to their people Mm -hmm. i I totally believe they know exactly what they're doing they're not stupid they are portraying it to their people as an as a partisan weapon this is nothing but a bunch of republicans trump says it himself you know they're just trying to excuse their loss right Mm -hmm. that they're using all of this to damage trump there's no substance to it it means it is completely made up out of whole cloth. They are fighting with every the, the Democrats, I mean, that they're mm-hmm. fighting with everything they have to take down our President Trump. And that's what they're doing. In their view, uh, they can convince their people that this is how scandals work, because that's what they do. Right. Yeah, that's what, and and that was sort of my aha moment. It's like, oh, okay, and and I know I'm not sure how much they believe or don't believe as far as what Trump did or didn't do, uh, particularly on the Russian aspect of this. But yeah, they know that when they do investigations, they're not actual investigations; they are inquisitions, and right. that's what they do. And they think I I 
I, I believe that 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 therefore is what everyone else does. Investigations right. as political tools, as inquisitions, not as actual investigations to find out what is there. You describe in your article, Heather, uh, not just the Whitewater case, but you also mentioned the Benghazi case. I would add to that the uh, phony IRS scandal during right. the uh, Obama example. years, and sort of in a broader sense, the entire you know the years-long voter fraud uh, pretend sure. investigations. They're out there looking for something that they can uh, use as a political weapon, and. It seems like they think everyone else does that, too. And they you know, so they that's how they regard uh, Robert Mueller, even though, as you also note in your article, uh, Heather, Mueller is not is of the same party as Donald <laughs> Trump. I know. Unlike the Bill Clinton thing with the Ken Starr, where you had a Republican going after a Democrat. Now you've got a Republican not going after, but investigating another Republican. Exactly. I mean, there really is nothing in, in common in terms of the substance of mm -hmm. what they're doing. I mean, Robert Mueller, he is, you know, he's a Republican lawman, straight arrow war hero. You know, I mean, you can't be any more Republican than that, right? I mean, that's, that's, the, and he was yeah. the head of the FBI for 10 years. In, in past times, the idea of going after the FBI like this, the way that they are doing, would have been completely outrageous. Yeah. They would have had fits doing this, going after. I mean, suddenly they're big civil libertarians. Out, you know, sure they are. Yeah. Um, you know, and none of that is particularly believable. But because they subscribe to this partisan trench warfare, yeah. where they will win by any means necessary, it's clear there are no limits, right? I mean, this is Donald Trump has proved that. Mm -hmm. There, there's nothing that they won't do it, because if you look at the substance of what the two are accused of, Bill Clinton was accused of having, of, you know, originally in Whitewater, of having, you know, some penny-ante land deal in the early 80s that somehow or another he, uh, I'm not even sure what, but he was yeah. supposed to have, he lost <laughs> money on it, but somehow right. or another it was crooked anyway. And then there were other, you know, he, they fired some people in the White House and some other stuff. But it was all really small-bore stuff culminating in a consensual affair, which, granted, was, you know, not a good thing. But look at the hypocrites who were pushing it, right? I mean, Newt Gingrich, who was on his third marriage at the time, and, you know, it took down a whole bunch of Republicans mm -hmm. with it. And so that was kind of an absurdity. Now we have, though, we have Donald Trump, who is undoubtedly, in my mind, going to go down as the most corrupt president ever. I mean, he still is running his business, basically, out of the White House. His, you know, he has not divested himself of anything. We see daily, you know, that he people are going to his hotels all over the world and dropping huge sums of money so that, you know, I'm sure that's just a coincidence, right? I mean, uh, all of this, the, the, just the, the, the level of corruption among his, his cabinet, I mean, people like Tom Price and Scott Pruitt. Uh, it, what about um, Wilbur Ross? I mean, this guy, the head of the Commerce Department. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, it could be billions of dollars of corrupt <laughs> profit. Wildly, yeah, wildly you know? corrupt. And Ryan Zinke, and you can go down the, the list. But, the, yeah, you, but they look at these investigations uh, on any of this just the way they look at their own investigations. Exactly. And that's what they're afraid of. I'll point folks to your piece, because uh, I think it's right on the money over at Salon. Headline for Republicans, the Mueller probe isn't Watergate, it's Ken Starr in reverse. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Heather, let me, uh, speaking of that uh, parade of corruption,
corruption you mentioned. Let me very quickly, i got just a few minutes, so I'm going to try to fly through as much of this as I possibly can, um, which is impossible for you uh, to answer in the short time we have. But as noted at the top, um, the first of two Paul Manafort trials is now wrapping up. The defense rested on Tuesday after bringing forth no witnesses nor any evidence. For all I know, uh, the jury could even come out with their verdict before today's show even airs. Uh, so what do you uh, what do you make of the lack of defense for Manafort? And the larger question, uh, corporate media has been following this trial very closely. Does does this trial actually matter to us? Uh, if so, uh, why? I'm not sure yet. Well, I'm not a lawyer, so I, I, I can't really say whether or not the defense resting without presenting a case uh, from what I read on, you know, great, you know, legal uh, tomes like Twitter, uh, I was given to understand that this isn't necessarily all that unusual in a case like this. It's reliant on a lot of documents, and, and basically the closing arguments are where the defense will make its case that the government didn't prove theirs, which is really where the burden of proof is. That trial, though, I think it is important in the sense that I mean, for one thing, obviously, there's a lot of pressure being brought to bear on Paul Manafort, and God only knows, you know, what that means. Uh, Manafort has a lot, you know, remember, Paul Manafort was the guy who ran what they used to call the torture lobby in Washington. Mm. He represented people like Mugabe. He represented Ferdinand Marcos, this guy Yanukovych, and God knows how many other horrible, horrible people. So Manafort, uh, you know, may find it in his interest to, he may actually feel like he's safer in an American prison than he is out in the world. So uh, I don't know yeah. whether or not that is uh, playing into his uh, willingness to go through this this trial and see what happens at the end. However, what did come out of the trial, from what I could gather, and I followed it fairly closely, was that there is there were hints within it that there is uh, much more going on with Rick Gates, uh, with some of this uh, selling, perhaps, of uh, administration uh, jobs to people who were giving Paul Manafort money and a willingness on the part of the Trump administration to listen to him on that. So there may be some corruption angles that are coming out, and they may end up in the other Manafort trial or somewhere down the road. So I'm kind of assuming that there's a legal strategy there, uh, with Mueller, that he's that he needed to lay this one down before he moved to the next. The and yeah, and if it results in uh, a guilty verdict, that may make Paul Manafort much less, yep. uh, much more interested in uh, cooperating instead of going to the next trial he's going right. to face. Well, we've already talked about Peter uh, Strzok very quickly, so let me, since I'm short on time. Let me jump to Omarosa. Uh, she's got her new book out uh, on her time in the White House. Of course, she's kind of a longtime known, uh, sorry, but kind of crazy person and kind of a liar. It doesn't mean she's lying now, but she's charged. She's heard Trump use the N-word on a recording. He's now calling her a lowlife. And today he called her a dog in return. Does that one uh, matter, Heather, or is, uh, is, is all of this anything more than an ugly sideshow right now, really, that the media is lapping up, but I, is there more there, or is it, is it just, uh, you know, sexy to the media, or does this actually matter somehow? Well, I wouldn't have thought so, because one would assume that this would just be another case. I mean, she's a reality star. She's playing her role as a villain, which she always did on The Apprentice. I mean, I think that that's I would have thought that this would just be another sort of maybe a mid-August dog days sort of sort of story, but the White House reaction is really extreme, uh, and I think it has to do with the fact that she's got tapes, 
which means that none of them know uh, whether or not they've been taped. <laughs> and that does kind mm. of explain why they are so anxious about it. It certainly explains why Trump is so anxious about it. Uh, she, I think it's probably clear that she went into this job, went into the campaign with the intention of writing a tell-all book. Uh, and she would last as long as she could. If that's the case, then nobody around the White House or around the campaign who interacted with her can be absolutely sure that they were not being uh, taped or documented in some way. So that could be an issue. Now, whether or not, you know, she wasn't obviously in NSC meetings or anything like that. Of course, you never know in the White I mean, she wasn't fired in the Situation Room. Right. who knows? So yep. I think I think that is what is interesting about her. I mean, she herself, you know, she is what she is. She's Donald Trump's creature, and I think he deserves her. So you know, <laughs> I'm, I will say, good good for her uh, if she's doing the uh, Donald Trump uh, retaliation tour now. You know, I mean, it's only yep. fair. But well, yeah, um, what goes around comes around. Exactly. He, he yeah. created her. Yep. Oy. Uh, of course, we didn't even get to Michael Cohen. We didn't even get to what all of this may mean for the uh, November midterms. Uh, you wrote about that as well recently at uh, at Salon. But that mm-hmm. just gives us an excuse to have you back again soon. How's that? Anytime, guys. I love to talk to you. It's always fun. Always great to have you here. We will do it again soon, I promise, before the crucial November midterms yes. when all of this... <sighs> breaks one way or another. Heather Digby Parton, find her work at salon.com at uh, digbysblog.blogspot.com and of course on the Twitters at Digby56. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Brad. Talk to you soon. Good. Okay, quick break. And Desi Doyen joins us for the latest Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Go ahead. Go ahead, oh, Des. Say yeah. what you were saying. I, uh, I had one thing that I wanted to say yeah. regarding what uh, Digby just said, and yeah. it's it basically, to wrap it all up, Republicans have so lost their moral compass mm-hmm. that they can't even conceive of investigations like the Mueller investigation as being seeking truth or even justice. They only see these special investigations as being a partisan political weapon. Yeah. They don't have a moral compass anymore. Yeah, they call it a witch hunt because they're the guys who, have, who always are running these witch hunts. So uh, anyway, yep. Excellent point. Uh, Good conversation with our friend Digby. Uh, All right. We got to get to it. Our latest Green News report. The Trump administration has had the knives out for the Endangered Species Act for more than a year. Administration using California wildfires to undermine endangered species. The density of our force is too high. The fuel load's too great. And push for more aggressive logging. Amid record heat, Glacier National Park is now on fire. Plus, federal court orders Trump's EPA to ban a dangerous pesticide. All of those dangers and more straight ahead from Brad Blog. 
Law.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. People forget the trees are the things that are burning. That's why we have to clear cut them. Remember Smokey the Bear's motto, only you can prevent forests. (laughs) This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, before you get going, a little bit of business to get out of the way. I wanted to welcome aboard our newest GNR affiliate partner, KLDK, 96.5 FM in Dixon, New Mexico. Hey, KLDK, welcome aboard. That's up near Taos, one of my favorite parts of the country. What do you got for us today, Desi Doyen? Well, first, another heat record shattered, this time in Glacier National Park in Montana over the weekend. The park recorded an all-time high of 100 degrees at Glacier National Park. And now a fast-moving wildfire has forced partial evacuation of the park. By the way, you may want to go see Glacier National Park's glaciers sooner rather than later because thanks to global warming most of its original 150 glaciers have disappeared it's now down to just 26 26 26 and it is expected to lose all of its glaciers within a few decades meanwhile not surprising for californians but noaa announced that july 2018 in california was officially the hottest month ever recorded in the state that sustained record heat has made firefighting extremely difficult for those ongoing 16 major fires burning in the state. Smoke from those fires extends as far as New York City. California fire officials and forestry experts, firefighters and scientists all say that longer and hotter summers driven by climate change are a primary factor in worsening western wildfires. But the Trump administration is denying the role of climate change and instead is using the fires as pretext for a full court press to push major policy changes that benefit politically powerful agriculture and logging industries. Hate to let any good catastrophe go to waste. Yep, although the California firefighting agency Cal Fire has repeatedly insisted there is no shortage of water for firefighting, Trump Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross last week directed federal fishery managers to to waive endangered species rules for rivers. That, as LA Times columnist Michael Hiltzik explained in a recent broadcast, is actually a transparent cover to undermine the Endangered Species Act and justify diverting more water to corporate agribusiness operations in the Central Valley. So the real subtext here is once again an effort to serve the growers. And the whole point of having an Endangered Species Act is to make sure that they survive despite all of these economic interests that are lined up to kill them off. And then, in a visit to California neighborhoods that were devastated by wildfire on Sunday, Trump Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke entirely dismissed climate change as a factor. It doesn't matter whether you believe or don't believe in climate change. Actually, yes, it does matter whether you believe or don't believe in climate change. It doesn't matter whether you believe or don't believe in climate change. What is important is we manage our forests. Now that is a euphemism for commercial logging, which Zinke made clear when he went even further in an interview with right-wing outlet Breitbart News. In a dangerous escalation of rhetoric, Zinke falsely blamed environmental groups for the wildfires. We have been held hostage by these environmental terrorist groups that have not allowed public access, that refuse to allow harvest of timber. Environmental terrorists? 
Really? That's what he said. Now, actual forestry scientists say the exact opposite, that forest management is actually far more complex, climate change can't be ignored, and what's actually needed is more funding for comprehensive techniques like controlled burns, not more logging. And that requires more funding from the federal government. So if we just listen to everything that the Trump administration says and understand it to mean the opposite, then we'd be in pretty good shape. Then we'd be in line with what scientists say. Finally, some good news. A federal appeals court has ordered the Trump EPA to ban all uses of the controversial pesticide chlorpyrifos within 60 days. The court ruled that former Trump EPA chief Scott Pruitt endangered public health by refusing to ban the dangerous pesticide, despite extensive scientific evidence that even tiny levels of exposure can harm the developing brains of children and babies. Evidence schmevidence. For much more evidence on all of these stories, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Please, baby, please. What fools are we who cannot see? The forest for the trees. Now I Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. I gotta say, I am still sort of struck by the fact that the Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zinke, there uh, said we are being held hostage by environmental terrorist groups. Yeah. On tape, out loud. Uh, who's he talking about? The, the Sierra Club? Are they the environmental terrorist group? The NRDC, the National Resources Defense Natural Council, resources. Natural Resources, the Center for Western Priorities. Are those terrorist groups, really? And the fact that the Secretary of the Interior said this, and I didn't even know about it until you shared it with us on the uh, on the Green News Report. Yeah, this stuff happens so fast, but it's so bad, yet nobody has time to cover any one thing. And I think, I guess he was speaking at Breitbart, so he felt, oh, I'm among friends. I can say what I really think, which is that... The Sierra Club are terrorists, yeah. essentially. This, I think, signals a dangerous escalation. You are right on the money, as usual. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. My thanks as well to my guest today, Heather Digby-Parton of Salon and Hullabaloo, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free. Enjoy it. Share it with your friends at bradblog.com. You can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. and my thanks. To those of you who keep us going every day, uh, thank you by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. We don't have uh, commercial or political support. We have you. We have you, the people. Thank you for your support there. All right, that's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.